0: In our study in this significant book in the Bible, in the Scriptures, we come to the, really the largest section, the longest section, dealing with Paul's reflection on how we ought to live in light of all the things he has said up to now. Chapter 14 through chapter 15, the middle of that section, deals with this one issue, and that is how we get along with one another. It must be a challenging thing, because why else would, would Paul devote so much of this time of practical instruction to this topic? It must be important in his day as it is important in our day. In fact, in the book of Corinthians, we read that he devotes nearly three chapters to the concerns that were going on in that particular congregation. And keep this in mind, the book of Romans is being written from Corinth around 51 years after the time of Yeshua. So what we have here is a major concern that Paul has for those who embrace Messiah That they would live in a particular manner with regard to one another. Now, before we look at the passage, let me just set something of the tone. If you look at chapter 12, in which this practical section begins to unfold, we remember that Paul had said that he wants us to have a transformed mind. He wants to think about things differently. He wants us to think about things from the perspective of God and as His Word instructs us. And so He tells us that we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He tells us that we are to love one another. And He tells us this love is to be a love that is truly sincere and without hypocrisy. It ought to be a love that is balanced, that it indeed embraces that which is good and stands up against that which is evil. Sometimes that's a real challenge. There's some of us in our congregation that are just real loving people and cannot really see the evil or the wrongdoing and therefore have a difficult time holding individuals to account for their waywardness. That's a challenge. That's a difficulty. There are others that are very critical and very much aware of the shortcomings of others. They need to work on being able to be loving and kind and gentle and compassionate. But Paul tells us, look at verse 9 of chapter 12, Love must be sincere. It must be without hypocrisy. And when he gets into chapter 13, he starts speaking about this expression of love in submission to those who are in authority. He tells us we are to pray for our leaders, our governmental leaders. We're to be in prayer for those that lead our congregation. We're to be submissive to those that are instructing us and guiding us in the ways of righteousness or have the weight of responsibility of the government or the nation in which one resides on their shoulders. We're told in chapter 13, looking at verse 8, that we're so, to be so concerned for others that we do not let any debts remain outstanding. If individuals loan to us, share with us, we ought to be circumspect in making sure that in a timely fashion we are doing our due diligence to repay those. And then he tells us we have to be mindful that there is a payment, a debt we have that we can never fully repay, and that is the debt to love one another. And so now in chapter 14, he speaks about the need to be non-judgmental of each other. So take a look at this. In chapter 14, he says, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man... That's not to say anything about the vegans among us. The vegans among us. Those of us who will not eat anywhere else than follow your heart. Those that are among us. We love you all. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special, does so to the Lord. He who eats meats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains, does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Messiah died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then... Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Wow, when I started reading through this passage, I kept thinking, how do I organize my thoughts? Because as one who loves to go down rabbit trails, I just saw all kinds of ways to sort of roam around these passages. So hopefully it'll appear somewhat orderly in my presentation this morning. But I think we get the gist of what Paul is saying, aren't we? We hear that we're to be accepting people, not judgmental people. And what's interesting in this passage about being accepting, he says in this section, he says because he's accepted by God. And if you look at that in verse 14, he says in verse 3 at the very end, don't look down at each other, don't look up, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else? Look at chapter 15. In verse 7, Paul says, Accept one another just as Messiah accepted you in order to bring praise to God. This word accept is the same word. When the word says he's accepted by God, he's accepted by Messiah, and then says accept one another, it's the very same word. So what Paul is saying is in the same manner in which God has accepted us, In the same manner in which Messiah has accepted us, we are to accept one another. It is truly amazing that before we became believers and we entered into a congregation of believers, a body of believers, they looked upon us and they loved us with an unconditional kind of love in which we said for the first time in our lives, there are people who really care about me. There are people who really accept me. These people are willing to be my friend and provide for me. And what they're telling me is the reason because of that is because of what Messiah has done for them. And so in many respects, it is not theological truth that pressed us over the edge. Although that may have worked in some manner regarding our allegiance to Messiah. There may have been some argumentation that helped you to understand Yeshua fulfills what the Scriptures have said. And that has been an important part of your coming to faith. It may very well be that some things were going on in your life that were just destructive in nature, disappointing in nature, challenging in nature, just saddening to your heart. And you find that there is a God who would love you and accept you despite those things and forgive you because of them, in spite of them, or as a result of them. And we embrace the Lord with this great joy. And then we come among one another, and we're very quick to forget how we treated each other when we weren't believers. Wanting them to come to know the Lord. We were on our best behavior to love, to love to the best of our ability. And then when we become believers, all we can see are the foibles in one another. We just don't do anything right. I'll speak for myself, and this has nothing to do with Beth Ariel, but you cannot imagine how many times people have said, you know, you just speak a little too long. Sometimes I've heard some individuals in the past have said to me, Man, that was really short. We were paying our dues here. You should be giving us our money's worth. Sometimes people have said to me, You know, you're just too comical up there. You tell too many jokes. You're just a little too flippant with the way that you present the truths of God's Word. I want to say to them, Boy, if you really knew me, you would know all the things I didn't add. That would have really upset you. you know." But what I'm trying to say is, all of those criticisms may be, have been very valid, very valid, and many more could have been expressed, I have no doubt. But what Paul wants us to do is to cease from looking for the faults and to raise among us all the things that are being accomplished and all the things that are being changed and all the ways that God is making himself known for he accepts us Messiah has died for us and yet we still can't accept each other with the failings that we have and the limitations that are upon us for all of us are ones who have fallen short and continue to fall short of the glory of God and we will never ever not fall short of that glory until one day we are in his presence and so Paul says stop judging one another now he's not saying not to be concerned where each other sins where each other is in danger Of hurting themselves or others. That's not what Paul is talking about. If you look at verse 1, he says, Without passing judgment on disputable matters. He's not talking about whether or not you acknowledge Yeshua as Lord or not. That's critical. We need to point out to people, He is Lord over heaven and earth. We need to point out to people that as Messiah, He is God come in the flesh. We need to point out to one another that no one can be saved by their good deeds. They will all come up short. We need to get that clear. We need to let people know we are saved by grace through faith. And there's nothing you can add to it or detract from it which will keep you from that grace of God. All those things need to be spelled out and argued for. And those that would suggest that we can be saved by any other name under heaven are in grave danger and in eternal peril. We need to point that out. We need to tell people that Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Those are not disputable matters. But there are many disputable matters. I'll never forget when I had come into the church back east. And the man that would become my dearest, dearest friend, almost like a second father to me. That when he invited me out to go sailing with him, as we were out on the water, in one hand he had a Diet Coke in his pocket, he had a uh, a, uh, pack of Marlboros. And I'm thinking to myself, now I'm the pastor here, you know, how am I supposed to deal with this? And then I realized, I don't know anywhere in scripture where it says, thou shalt not smoke. And I read this story. You may or may not like it. You know, that's fine. Disputable matters. Some of us like, some of us don't. But Charles Spurgeon, you know, was the greatest orator, speaker of his era, late 19th century. And one individual had come up to him, had come to faith. And he had a box of these wonderful, I don't know, Cuban or whatever, cigars. And he was a very heavy smoker. And these boxes of cigars, and a fellow came up to him and said, I don't know what to do with these cigars. He said, give them to me and I'll smoke them to the glory of God. You know, you, you do with that as you will. I'm not commenting, I'm only speaking about disputable matters, Right? I can say some things politically. I'm trying to shy away from causing more trouble than I already caused myself. But we may be disappointed with many things. We may not like a lot of things. And though Spurgeon may have smoked like a chimney, it doesn't mean you have to. And it doesn't mean you have to tell him, stop smoking like a chimney. He can make decisions for himself and deal with the consequences as a result of those things it's a disputable matter in my book maybe not in your book but it is in my book it's a disputable matter some people drink alcohol some people do not it's a disputable matter and thus we have to leave these things in the hands of those individuals let each one be fully convinced in his own mind now drunkenness that's not a disputable matter But if you're going to drink alcohol and you drink it responsibly, that's a disputable matter, whether you like it or not. But I'll tell you, in many churches and many congregations, there's all these rules and regulations of what you can and cannot do with regard to disputable matters. Even as early as the 70s, when I first came to faith, I was in this church and they had a church manual. A church manual. I'm not anti-manuals, but a manual. And in this manual, it said... No gambling, no playing with cards, no dancing, no mixed bathing. Am I the only one that remembers something like that? (laughs) It wasn't that far long ago. Now all those things have, have somewhat changed, I suppose. But these are disputable matters. But let's bring it home to where we are in Messianic congregations. Do we worship on Saturday? Do we keep kosher? You know, these are disputable matters. In fact, Paul says here, one person esteems one day, one person eats these things. Let each one be convinced in his own mind. But take a look at this. Some people say, now when Paul, now here's where all these thoughts are coming to my mind. I'm trying to harness them. When Paul says here, he talks about eating meat and vegetables. There's nothing in the Mosaic law about Jewish people having to eat only vegetables. Right? That's not in the Mosaic Law. So people raise the question, what is Paul thinking about when he says meats and vegetables? He doesn't say kosher, non-kosher, clean, or unclean. But he does say meats and vegetables. So some have said, well, we should be uh, keeping, Jewish believers should be keeping kosher. But here's an interesting thing. And I just learned this, this week in preparing for this. Paul says, it is the stronger believer that can eat anything. The stronger believer can do anything. He's not affected by that. He doesn't get blown away because others are doing whatever they're doing. That's disputable or with regard to himself. He says the weaker believer is the one that has to restrain and narrow what they do with disputable issues. The word weaker is a very interesting word. It's the word "astheneto." It's used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, for "clean." animals. i would never noticed this before. When he says the stronger in faith and the weaker, he uses the word that has to do with only eating clean animals. Only eating those things that the law prescribes the Jewish people to eat. And now Paul uses this same word in the sense of expressing a weakness with regard to one's faith. Let me turn, have you turn to this passage. Look, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is talking about a situation where at Corinth, some of the believers did not want to eat meat because the meat were first, after they were butchered, the meat was then devoted to some idol, and then it was put on the public marketplace. And some of the believers were coming to faith and they're saying, I'm not going to eat that meat because it was offered up to idols. Now look what Paul says. He says, but not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Look about verse 1. He says, now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. He says, verse 4, so then about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. That there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, yet for us there is but one God. People get superstitious. Now, I don't want to go too off the mark, especially speaking publicly, but we think that because food is devoted to idols, that it really is. Or that those idols really exist, and somehow we're going to be affected by that. That's just superstition. Paul is saying there are no idols. So when individuals dedicate things to idols, they're dedicating it to air. It doesn't exist. And whether you eat it or not eat it, you're no better nor no worse. Unless it tastes good, then I guess you're a little better. But it's no different, Paul says. That's not what I'm saying, that's what he said. If we eat it, we're no worse. If we don't eat it, we're no better. So what is he saying? Doesn't matter. It's disputable. Now, if you look at First Timothy, look at this. In First Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, for everything God created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. There isn't anything that we could eat that would be wrong in eating. As long as we eat it with thanksgiving and prayer, he says. But we don't even need any of those passages. If you look at Mark chapter 7, when the disciples are castigated by the Jewish leaders for not ritually washing their hands before eating, Yeshua tells them, it is not what goes into a person that defiles them. It's what comes out of a person that defiles them. In other words, cleansing is not an outside-in an outside job. It's an inside-out job. You are no holier if you don't eat certain foods than if you did eat them. But you are holier if you eat them with thanksgiving. Because it's from the inside that all evils proceed. And what's really interesting about that passage in Mark is that Mark has this parenthetical phrase, and it's unique to Mark's good news account, because he rarely provides parenthetical phrases, but he does here. And when Yeshua says, it is not what goes into a person that defiles him, but what comes out, Mark then says, and by saying this, he declared all foods clean. Now what's neat about that phrase is that it does not say, and He said, all foods are clean. Had that been what Mark said, that would not be true. Because Yeshua did not say, and saying this, He said all things are clean. Yeshua was not disputing the fact that there are clean and unclean foods. That there are foods that The law prescribed the Jewish people to eat and not eat. He wasn't disputing that. But what he was now doing was making a declaration. That's what Mark says. And in saying this, he declared all things clean. So when God created the world, Yeshua declared the world to come into existence and said, let there be, and it was... When Yeshua declared, Lazarus, come forth, he comes out from the dead and he comes forth. When he says to the storm and declares that it is to cease, the winds no longer blow and the water becomes calm. And when he declares all foods clean, that which is clean and unclean is now made clean. That's what Yeshua is doing. We live in a different era of God's workings than when Israel was existing under the time of the Mosaic law. The law is no longer a means by which we are to express and have our life characterized. We are to walk in the Spirit and we are to follow the leading of the Spirit of God and the work of Messiah. And so Paul says, anything eaten with thanksgiving is to be received. He says, things offered to idols are not really offered to idols, though they may think so, and they are free to eat. He says in the book of, in Romans, as we just saw, that we all must be fully convinced in our own mind, and it's the weaker believer who cannot eat everything. It is the stronger believer who can. And Yeshua has said, all things, as he declares, are clean. It's just like he said, uh, it is finished. And thus here he fulfills the law and all things are declared clean. That is, now, can individuals choose to remain eating kosher? They are free to choose, but they are not free to impose on others. They are free to choose. Everyone should be fully convinced in their own mind but they're not free to suggest that we are worse off if we don't and we are better off if we do, as Paul says in Corinthians as he does in the book of Romans. Now, if we are so free that we can eat what we will, we are not free to impose that on those who would prefer to refrain and not eat what they don't want to. We are not to look down on people and sort of sneer at them because they desire to restrain their lives in one fashion or another. On the other hand, they are not free to look up at those who feel no compulsion to restrict what they would eat and sort of frown at us and say, oh, if they only really knew better, they don't know what they're doing. Paul says to cease to be judgmental Regarding disputable matters if that wasn't enough he speaks about the sabbath as well To suggest that we are holier because we observe the sabbath is totally contrary To what the scripture is teaching the Lord fulfills the sabbath commandments and the fulfills the sabbath regulations and laws as well as all Laws in the mosaic law and now one person esteems one day over another day and it doesn't matter Whatever culture we happen to find ourselves in, we may find ourselves having to worship on those particular days. But we are no better, no worse if we celebrate the Shabbat or choose not to. There may be reasons to do so. Valid reasons. I think there are some good reasons to do so. We'll talk about that another time. But we are under no compulsion to have to, according to what Paul is saying here. What Paul is concerned about is that we not judge one another with regard to disputable matters. Now, let me just share in, in closing a number of reasons that he gives. Number one, look at verse four. Oh, excuse me, the end of verse three. Number one, God has accepted him or her. We shouldn't look to judge and find fault on each other because first of all, God has accepted that individual. We ought to do no less, as I said earlier. Look at the second thing he says in verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Ultimately, we are God's servant. And therefore, with regard to disputable things, we have no right to hold others to a certain standard we feel that we ought to hold ourselves to. And so he says, remember this, that... That individual is not your servant. He is, or she is, God's servant. Third thing that he says, and look at this. It is to his own master he will stand or fall. So at one time, that individual is going to stand before God and give an account for how he lived, how she lived, what they did, and what they did not do. Each one will give their own account to God, he says. And so therefore we have no right to stand in judgment of another. We shouldn't stand in judgment because the individual is accepted by God. Shouldn't stand in judgment because they're not our servant. They're someone else's servant, the Lord's. We shouldn't stand in judgment because the Lord will hold them to account ultimately. But here's Paul's final point in this section of chapter 14. He says in verse 12, Each of us will give an account as well. One day we will stand before the Lord and we will have to give an account for how we have behaved. What will we give an account for? Here are some things that came to my mind and we ought to be circumspect about them for we will give an account to them and then I'll close. Number one, we will give an account for every word we say. Paul, uh, Yeshua himself says that. For every idle word spoken, we will give an account We will give an account for the words we choose to use when we speak to each other. Whether we are concerned for them, how we speak to them, what words we choose, what volume we choose to speak it at, as well as the words we will listen to, the things we will hear. We will give an accounting of our words. We will give an accounting for that which God has entrusted to us. We will give an accounting for our talents and our gifts. Yeshua spoke a great deal about talents and how individuals, some were given ten, five, and one. He's very much concerned what we are doing with our spiritual gifts. Are we exercising them? Are we utilizing them in the greater good of the people of our world and in our own congregation and among our own people? If we have gifts of teaching, are we stepping up forward in teaching? If we have uh, gifts of giving, are we stepping forward and giving as God would enable us to? If we have gifts of helps, are we there when people ask for help? We will give an accounting for what God has trusted us with. Do we have good health? We will give an accounting for how we use our bodies. We will give an accounting for our words. We will give an accounting for our gifts. We will give an accounting for our time. What are we doing with our time? How much of our time is spent in sharing the good news with the lost around us? If we were to go through our schedule and look at our time, how much is given in loving others as ourselves? Yeshua said that's second to the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord and love others. Whatever our devotional life may be, and hopefully it's a very good one of time spent with God, we need to spend equal time with others for their benefit and not our own. We will give an accounting for our words. We will give an accounting for our gifts and talents. We will give an accounting for our time. We will give an accounting for our money. How have we managed what God has entrusted to us? How are we giving to those that are in need? How are we giving to our own congregation? I read a story about a farmer who had a great harvest of potatoes. He lined up in front of him ten huge Idaho potatoes, and one he put aside for his tithe to the Lord. And then he looked at that and he thought, one and nine, well that's not bad. And thus he felt he had fulfilled his obligation by taking 9 out of 10. Maybe that's a wrong way to think of our finances, that we give such a small part to that which is needed in other places than perhaps ourselves. Hard words to hear in an economy like we have, but nevertheless, we will give an accounting for our monies and what we are doing with it. And so when we have so much on our plate about which we will be given an accounting for ourselves, how do we find the time to look at one another and begin to judge and evaluate and critique and complain and wish things were different? It would be better if we spent that time giving praise, adoration, compliments, appreciation for what the individual does and not where the individual fails. So Paul says in chapter 14, as we close this down, Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable manners. One's man's faith allows him to eat, another one can only eat limited things. But the man who eats everything must not look down on he who restrains, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, because God has accepted all of us. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own, own mind. As we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper, Yeshua is the prime example of this, isn't he? For he is the one who did not come to judge, he said. I came not into the world to condemn the world, but I came... To save it, And thus we can sort of mimic him. By coming into each other's lives. Not to judge. But to lift up. To bring blessing. In general. To bring salvation near. Let's pray. Our God and Father.